Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. This episode is part two of our conversation with Ricky Samuel, e-commerce lead at Mindshare, a global media agency where he helps clients in understanding their e-commerce related challenges to drive success. As I mentioned off the top of the last show, Mindshare was the first purpose-built company created by WPP and today has a headcount of over 10,000 that operate in 116 offices in 86 countries around the world. We pick up the conversation with Ricky discussing his move to Schneider Electric, an interesting move for someone with a background in e-commerce, something we ask him about. We also talk about building e-commerce partners in Japan and what he learned targeting the Japanese market for the first time in his career. We then move on to discussing his work at Mindshare share, specifically some of his biggest lessons learned working in a variety of verticals aimed at the Indonesian market and how success in that market has changed over the last 10 years. We also talk about where consumer behavior and retail strategies will go over the next five years. Enjoy. For Japan, actually, the partner, the strong relationship with partner is the key. So they already know their persona. They already know who is the target audience. So most of the transaction happening, not the market-based e-commerce like in Southeast Asia, it's more into the D2C side. So we're supporting a lot of partners to build their site, to implement our modules, that kind of things to the Japan market. And from the customer perspective, unfortunately, we understand the housing in Japan, right? They don't spend too much time in their home. So that's why the D2B is still a bigger chunk for Snyder in Japan. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half of the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market that no globally-minded organization should ignore. But entering markets like China, Japan, or Southeast Asia is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. However, times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success growing their key markets in APAC. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies grow in the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful Asia market entry and growth strategies by interviewing the experts who've done it before and truly understand what it takes to be successful in the region. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation. Brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. After HP, you continued working just for huge brands, Ricky. You went over to, and and I think I, I thought this would like you know, okay, Bose, I get it, Asus, yeah, uh, HP makes sense. Schneider Electric. First of all, for you personally, that must have been an interesting move. I, I can only imagine the conversations you were having with your loved ones about that move. Uh, a little bit outside your usual, you know, realm of of uh, industry there. And, and you know, for let's just say for people who aren't exactly sure, can you tell us a little bit about what is Schneider Electric? What does Schneider Electric do? So Schneider Electric is actually B two B company. Our headquarters in France, we are more focusing in the electrics products, switcher, or all the modular, all the solar panel, that kind of stuff. And also, uh, like if may some people understand, it's a UPS, like a backup battery for your laptops or for your computer at home. So a lot of product is mostly in the B2B buildings. If you may wear maybe one of the same product at your house, is power matter, your switcher. It may be there. That's a Snyder Electric products. 
So it's really interesting uh, why I taking that position. Actually, it's because I want to have bigger landscape. I want to understand the regional point of view because in HP I manage the Southeast Asia area, but I put fifty percent of my time to manage Indonesia as my biggest uh, revenue pipeline, right? But for Snyder, I manage wider East Asia and Japan. And it's a really interesting market to, for me as well. And they're requesting me to help for their e-commerce. It's really interesting for the B2B company asking someone work from the B2C, from the consumer base, and talk about the e-commerce actually. Yeah. So, okay. So a, a little bit deeper, I wanted it because I wanted to ask and you kind of touched on it, but what, in, like what in 30 seconds, what, what is your, what was your day-to-day at Schneider Electric? What did you actually do? Yeah. Uh, so as a key account manager for the e-commerce channel for the Schneider Electric, I work uh, with all the country. So I, I help them to accelerate uh, the country, educate their partner. That's the key. Because the B2B, we're always working with the partner, right? For partner, go to each of the persona of the audience. Some partner talks to the DIY, uh, do-it-yourself audience. Some partner go to the contractor level. Some partner create their own D2C site for their B2B contractor piece kind of things. So I'm helping country to set up this kind of the relationship, educate how to create the correct content, of the e-commerce itself, because as a B2B, they just say, download the PDF, you read all the details. But in e-commerce, no. <laughs> That's a big, huge of chunks need to be accelerated. So a lot of development in the content that I spend a lot of the time during my time in Snyder to talk to the B2B and B2C is different approach. You mentioned... You know, your your background was heavily e-commerce related. You have e-commerce responsibilities at Schneider. It's a bit of a surprise given, you know, it's a B2B organization. Um, so what kind of a e-commerce presence does a B2B company and brand like, like Schneider Electric have? So uh, that, that's actually my first question when I have my interview with my boss. What you're gonna do in e-commerce, especially your products is your lifetime product is 10 to 15 years. It's not like fast moving consumer goods, is maybe within a month it will be need to be replaced, right? It's totally different way to approach, right? And I don't know the answer. I'm thinking I'm <laughs> thinking replacement parts. I'm I'm very curious to hear what you're gonna say, because like uh, that's the only thing I can think of. Go ahead. Yeah. So uh first of all, uh for the first three months, right? I push a lot. They say, this is all of our products. Which one is more suitable with the penetrate in e-commerce? I say, it's really tough, man. So we discuss a lot and we engage with the China team to develop the product as kind of things. But Snyder is really quick adapter on this new way. And they understand and aware, especially uh, in China, they already penetrate with Taobao. Uh, for their mm. e-commerce capital account things. So after after if I'm not mistaken, the 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 six month of the discussion, they decide to launch special products for the DIY user because we understand the DIY may be the first touch point of our customer because they can replace a small 
prefer a small part of their electrics at home. So we go with the switcher, the switcher of the lamp. We call it product is the avatar on. Why the avatar? Because you can do customization of what kind of the looks if you want to create it for your home. So it can be adapt, it can be printable, it can be doing by yourself the kind of things. So uh, this is one of the hero products that we have created in the marketplaces, actually for the B2C. For the B2B side, actually, uh, we're trying to do some automation. So as you may aware, right, when we do a B2B, there is a lot of spec specification coming from the electrical engineer, that kind of things. So we create the AI models, we plug into our partner to can do automation, which product is suitable with this project. So that's kind of the automation that we have created on the B2B. So come up with the recommendation and then they create the PO to buying the product itself to our distributor and partner. That's the B2B and the B2C with the avatar on. What were your e-commerce partners? Who were your e-commerce partners that you had when you were at Schneider uh, for East Asia and Japan? So uh, if I might call some, uh, Rakuten is big in Japan. But Rakuten, in Japan, yeah. actually, yeah, our B2B partner also quite big. So some local B2B partner, they have their uh, D2C side. So we help to embed the kind of the models that we have created, the AI models for them. And for uh, Southeast Asia, especially Lazada, Shopee, uh, it's all across Malaysia, Singapore, all across Philippines as well there. We penetrate that uh, through the e-commerce and it's even for Amazon and eBay. For Indonesia, especially, we go to the local, the Topopedia, as now, as you may aware, the Gojek is in, integrated with them already. So we have engagement with all of them because we understand, actually, uh, when we go from the B2B, B2C, it's long-term investment. When they recall our brand, they will talk to the contractor, I want to use Snyder. That's actually the end game that we are looking for when we go to the B2C side. So when they do DIY, they see the cool stuff that we have created to make sure their home is safe with all the electrics part from us. Hopefully when they build their new house, they recall our brand and they keep on to using it to tell it to the contractor for back to the B2B game. That's actually the long goal that I keep explaining to the partner. So e-commerce is actually your gateway to have bigger business in the future. And Schneider Electric seems like it was your gateway to understanding and learning about Japan uh, and, and the market there. Just based on kind of what I understand from your background, uh, that was your first opportunity to get into the market there. What did you learn about marketing and, and growth strategies uh, for for the Japanese market? You know, now that you're in this role, and you know, and, and you can talk from either like from the business, uh, like what did you learn about the business side of things going into that market, and then the consumer side of things going into that market? For Japan, actually, the partner, the strong relationship with partner is the key, especially there. Uh, they really develop their site is adapting to the customer needed. So they already know their persona. They already know who is the target audience. So they custom made it their web store to answer the needs of their clients. So most of the transaction happening, not the marketplace e-commerce like in Southeast Asia, is more into the D2C site. 
So we supporting a lot of partner to build their site, to implement our modules, that kind of things to the Japan market. And from the customer perspective, unfortunately, we understand the housing in Japan, right? They don't spend too much time in their home. So that's why the B2B still bigger chunk for Snyder in Japan, rather than focusing on the B2C market. For those following along this timeline, because we're 2018 into 2019, and then when we start talking about, you know, 2020, there's a certain thing that was pretty relevant in the world (laughs) around that time that now becomes the big elephant in the room, you know, the big gorilla that impacted everybody and everything called COVID. So, yeah, so we're there. We we have to address that. And I want to ask you, uh, because you were at Schneider as COVID broke, right? How did that organization and your role adapt to that new that new normal of COVID, at least in, in your region during that time? I may say it's actually a big opportunity for e-commerce because every penny moved to the digital. No offline transaction. Every campaign in the B2B is being hauled. All the government projects is being hauled. All the budget moved to the health care, that kind of things, right? And a lot of people stay at home. And they trying to become their electrician at that time. So we swift the budget actually to the e-commerce. A lot of budget. Actually, we double up our our revenue during a year of the COVID. So I not say thank you for the COVID, but actually that's the situation. The e-commerce penetration because of the COVID is doubling, even accelerate all the adoption of the e-commerce strategy that we have created. So the budget is shifting from the offline to the online. The customer is shifting. Previously, we have only small audience of DIY, but they become huge. They need to replace and they cannot call the electrician because of the COVID, right? You're not allowing someone coming to your house when they're coming from the outside. But at the end of the day, you need to do it by yourself. So we do a lot of the education, how to do it by yourself. We make sure our the safety protocols, how to make all the small things change, the kind of things. So the budget allocation of the marketing is really switch over from the B2B focus to the B2C focus to engage the new audience, the DIY. And I believe now a lot of uh, become a new acquisition for their own house as for now. We're going to get into Mindshare. For those of you waiting for us to get into Mindshare, uh, you know, with, you know, it's one of the, the major WPP subsidiaries. But I'm going to ask one more question regarding Schneider Electric in a way, because there are a lot of, uh, as I alluded to earlier, a lot of our listeners really focus on growing their business in Asia, uh, in APAC. Uh, they would love to uh, have the, the size and scope of business that, that Schneider Electric has in that region. So what, if I, one last question on the, on the topic of them, what, what did you see and what did you understand from, from their business, from their suite of products, from their go-to-market, their growth, their marketing, their e-commerce, their partnerships, their distributor relationships, all the things. What did you see? What, what could you, what kind of advice could you pass along to those listeners 
that you think would be valuable for them to understand and learn about existing and growing in that region? One of the key elements that or what I see in Snyder is the flexibility. When they mm. engage with the local, right, there is a lot of transaction being held and the payment issue, that kind of thing is happening during the corona outbreak. Uh, but how they engage the situation, how they give the relaxation to the partner. And at the end of the day, they manage short and long investment. Be calculated in the correct way. Because when we manage in Asia, the key is we cannot see from the short time, but the longer period of the investment at the end of the day. So uh, engagement with the local partner, the key distributor is the really your backbone in here. Because as the brand, if you are trying to start in by yourself, it's really hard to penetrate like a China. A lot of small distributor is actually helping the big giant over there. Same like in India, especially in Indonesia, because the archipelago, right? We are the thousand island country. You cannot manage from the distributor, single distributor in Jakarta to manage shipment to Iran or Kalimantan because there's really too far away or Indonesia. That's why I penetrate with the local distributor who is your strength, what is the benefit, the kind of thing is need to be calculated in the long and short gain for the company by the end of the day. Thanks very much. And now, Ricky, we are going to move on to your work at Mindshare. Sure. And Mindshare being, you know, um, a subsidiary of the big marketing conglomerate uh, WPP. You are you are now in the WPP universe. And so we're going to be able to talk bigger picture, right? Because you deal with obviously a, a variety of clients, okay, presumably in a variety of, of product segments. And your job is, if, if I may, to help them be successful in the Indonesian market. Not sure in your role how directly you get to talk to your clients. It would be maybe interesting to have an idea of what that client persona is like who particularly at some of the client at some of the companies what is the role of your partner at that company that you're talking to is it is it on a product side is it on a marketing side what have you uh c-suite what have you and then what are those conversations like what kind of advice are you giving them and what have been some of the biggest lessons you're you're teaching them about your market? To be frank, Todd, this is also my first time in media agency, right? So coming from the brand, normally I give the brief to my media agency. You need to do this, to do that, the kind of things. But now I become the agency itself. I talk to them. I trying to understand. I trying to see from agency perspective now to the clients. As the partner, at the end of the day, we want to become successful together. So in e-commerce, the thing is, we always trying to measure with return on ad spam. Every ad spam, how many, how much the return? From the brand perspective, the only talking return on investment. There's two things that I really am trying to adapt it as soon as possible. From the agency is ROAS, from the brand is ROI. But that's actually the same things. It's just different jargon, right? So uh, the first as a brand, they have super limited budget. Especially e-commerce is super small. 
some of the brand is already 3% of the revenue coming from the online. But the 3% of the budget of the marketing compared to the offline is totally different game, right? How they invest in television and how they invest in e-commerce. So we really need to give them a great example and advice. As I mentioned before, right? tapping the correct wave. When they see the double date is coming, who is actually their audience? We cannot always entertaining all the channels at the same time, especially in Indonesia itself, right? Shopee have their double, double digit 11-11. Lazada have 11-11. Blibli have 11-11. All marketplaces have 11-11. But the thing is, which brand is more suitable with Lazada? Which brand is more suitable with Shopee? And how we penetrate in terms of the budget to optimize our ad spend to become our return. So we do all the calculation. We're not too much tapping in terms of the promotion of the products, the pricing, because that's the call from the brand. But we as the agency, because I'm have background in a brand, I do have understand about the sales. So what our suggestion is more about how to increase their average basket size, how they increase average order value to do the bundles, to do create the variety of the promotion. A lot of brands coming to us say, hey, you know what? E-commerce is about price gain. When we drop the price, then the buying happening, the conversion happen. But actually, it's not 100% true. Based on our research and our learning as well, price is now become less, less important. Now, people come with the quality of the products. When we talk maybe 2016, 2015, yes, they curious about the pricing. They come because it's better deal. But because of the corona, no, it's not the case anymore. Because the buying behavior is already happening in these past two years. Everyone buy even the groceries to online. So that's why we keep talking to the, our brand, uh, our clients. We need to understand who is your audience where the audience and what the products offering that we are good to them. Pricing, yes, important. But you need to remember pricing is not about the price. Pricing can be added value that you give it to your consumer at the end of the day. That kind of things that we are engaged. At the end of the day, uh, what I've been in the brand, right? previously what brand behavior always trying to make their agency become a bank. I deal with Lazada or Shopee. You just need to pay. But the thing is, how our approach as uh, Mindshare WPP, we are your partner. We give your suggestion which of the platform that you need to spend more because there is your audience. That's the insight that we have. How we penetrate with the, each platform to help the brand to become more successful. That's the success means for us. Yeah, I appreciate that. What does it take to have a successful omni-channel approach to the Indonesian market? And I know that's broad intentionally, <laughs> but you know, generally speaking, what does a successful omni-channel approach look like? I love marketing. So I always back to the basic, the 4P. We're starting about the products. You need to understand each platform that I mentioned before have different audience, different needs, and optimize your product range, it will be the answer. 
for the each of the marketplace. You don't need to have the pro- same product in each of marketplace. Some hero skews in the mar- marketplace A cannot be hero skews in marketplace B, probably. But it can be duplicate. We can be wrong as well. So understand your products because you are the brand owner. You know product better than anyone. You know who is the underdog products. You know the co-cast products, the kind of things. So we need to penetrate from the product itself. The second one is the place. When we're talking about the place, is talking about which marketplace is more suitable with your audience. So when you launch your new products, who need to become your exclusive partner for your first month of the audience? Because the first month of when you launch the product in Omnichannel, it become word of mouth. And it's the value is a billion of US dollars spending when they buzzing about your products in which marketplaces. And the marketplace, of course, love to have the kind of the buzzing, right? The third one of the promotion, we can't deny. They are double digit, the 11-11, the single day, the Black Friday, the mid-year campaign, the back-to-school campaign. They do every campaign each month, right? So we need to tap it on. But we need to smart enough to decide which one of our priorities because we cannot serve everyone at the same time. So that's why we as an agency, we help them to do budgeting in the centralized level. When they budgeting in the centralized level, it will be easier because they, we understand which of the revenue pipeline will give them the best return on ad spend at the end of the day. The last one, of course, the price. Price harmonization, as I mentioned before. but Price not only about the price cut, but what the added value that you give it as the official store, as the branded store. Acting as a branded store is totally different with the C2C store. As you may aware, right? Marketplace e-commerce, a lot of C2C. They're selling the goods again, the kind of things. Maybe some partner, our partner selling some goods in the same marketplaces. But when the buyers go to the official store, there's some things that need to be managed. That means the price harmonization, the added value that we give it to the clients. That the four pillars that I always keep talking to the clients, back to the basic, the four P at the end of the day. You know, we talked earlier about how in order to understand the future, we have to understand not just where we are now, but where we ha- and, you know, how we got to where we are today in order to be able to somewhat be able to predict in, in any kind of accuracy what the future looks like. So I want to kind of step back for a sec and ask you for a 10-year overall explanation of how the approach to being successful in the Indonesian market has changed over the last 10 years. What I see is engagement to your customer, to your audience is the key. Why? It's never too late. Listen more and answer the needs. As I believe the audience, each from the Gen Z to baby boomers, have their own way to have first touch point. The key is the first touch point. When you can impress them, they get the benefit from your products. They will be our long life value customer at the end of the day. So in the past 10 years, that what my biggest learning is satisfy your customer with the correct products. Never selling a pen to someone needs Pencil. So that's actually the simple acronym. Selling the pen to the ones who need a pen. Selling your pencil to someone needs to drawing with a pencil. So that's actually the value that's need to be done. 
to serve our customer at the end of the day. This this show is all about the P's, uh, the pen to the pencil, the WPP, the HP. Uh, if, we, if we look at, uh, you know, pricing and product and partners, how has consumer behavior changed? Because, you know, that that's a that's a big question because it's been huge. Yeah, I can't remember, I can't think of a decade, a 10 year span in the last hundred years. I'm probably going too far. It probably has. There probably is a decade that it changed drastically. But how has consumer behavior changed over the last 10 years? One of the biggest change is now 24-7 shopping experience. We cannot deny it. If we talk about five years ago, people shop during their weekend, probably during the lunchtime. They buy small groceries and they go back to the work, have some snacks. But now, in every minute, they can just one click button to buy everything. So manage their expectation with our quick response to answer their needs is the key because they need brand to be agile. We cannot say, okay, we will reply you in the next 24 hours. Oh, you lose the opportunity. Someone will reply them with less than five minutes. That's why as a brand now, we need to really understand our customer. This behavior impact the brand itself. So if the brand not agile, not adapt with the current trend, you'll be forgotten soon enough. You know, it's interesting you say that. I mean, I, I've, I'll be in bed, right? You know, and, and uh, you know, in at night, let's say it's, it's 10, so 11 p.m., down. you know, and you're scrolling, you're doing something and you rem- oh man, I forgot I was going to buy that, uh, you know, that hammock. Uh, that I wanted to, you know, hang from that big tree branch in the yard or something and something random like that comes up and you see it and you want, but you've got a question. You want to go to the chat. Oh, you know, I'm sorry, but we were, you know, we're, we're open from, from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. as far as customer services. Well, it's 10.30 p.m. Well, great. Now I've got to wait till tomorrow. And it's a bit of an impulse buy. I'm not going to be going back tomorrow to that same place. It's not that important. I'm not going to be, you know, chasing that product or their their chat service or, or you know, anything about trying to get in touch with their customer service to get more information, something like that. But and, it, and it's right. You're absolutely correct. They have to have something to serve customers 24 seven, um, 365, you know, there, there is no time off. Uh, and you're right. They're either going to go somewhere else and buy it, or they're just not going to buy it at all. And that the, the opportunity to capture that, that sale, uh, and that client is so fleeting in today's squirrel type of, 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 of shopping experience where people are just, you know, they're thinking of something. And, and I mean, that's, that's why when you're scrolling, it's, it's buy now. No, not ready. Okay. Here's some more information. Buy now. No. Okay. Well, here's some more information. Buy now. No testimonials. Buy now. No, you know, and it's, you know, that's just the, the structure. It's like, you just yeah. kind of, you know, are you ready yet? No, here's some more, you know, uh, nurture, offer, nurture, offer, nurture, offer. And that's just kind of the way that it goes. That's the situation. Yeah, 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 no, it really is. Uh, how do you now? You know, we, we've talked about the past. Now, now here's the yep. really hard question, right? Let's get out Ricky's crystal ball and look at the next five years. Where do you think consumer behavior and retail strategies are going to go in Southeast Asia over the next five years? I personally believe, depending too much to marketplace e-commerce, it will become big issue to the brand. So they need to start their D2C site as soon as possible. The first party data will be there. 
the cookie-less will be there. Someone have owned the data will be the leading company in the future. No longer option. The cookie-less decision is already made by Google's, by Meta. Everyone wants to have their own privacy. So the only solution is the brand need to create their own first-party data to own, understand their customer behavior at the end of the day. Because the customer will keep changing from the Gen Z, millennials, the way of the persona, it will be rapidly changed. But when they you own the behavior, their buying time, their color, color pipe, the kind of things, it will be your will be win from the customer perspective. So the first party data is something that really relevant for the next five years to be in fast for all the brand. So because the behavior, we cannot predict the behavior, but we can prepare what behavior will be happening in the next five years. That's my suggestion at the end of the day. Now, one more question. It's a little bit more fun. We always love to ask our guests who they think, A, someone that might be a great guest, uh, and B, someone that you would love to listen to and learn from yourself. Are you willing to throw out one or two names of people that we can then get at them on social media? We can connect with them and we say, hey, you know what? Ricky, Ricky Samuel said that you, you know, offered your name as a great person that might be on the guest. He was just a guest. He thinks you'd be a great guest. Would you be interested? We can kind of leverage your, your name and, and social capital to try to influence uh, one or two people to be on the show. Do you have a couple of names of people you might like to uh, see on the show in the future? Yeah, maybe uh, only one name. Uh, his name is uh, Simon Peterson. He's actually now the chief inside of the other this uh, ads data advertising company in Asia. He's really super knowledge person and I believe he will be valuable to this podcast. All right. Okay. So Simon, if you're if you're listening, uh Ricky has uh has thrown you out there. Hopefully not thrown under the bus. Throw your name out there and we're gonna get in touch with Simon to see if he'd be willing to come on the show and that's great for any of you listeners who want to jump on that bandwagon. And uh feel free to find his Twitter handle and, and, and start tweeting him, Hey, you gotta be on the show, you gotta be on the show. We would love that. It'd obviously be super helpful for us. But you know, Ricky, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and we do want to remind everybody we have obviously the negotiation podcast which is on everywhere that you find your podcasts whether it's apple Podcasts, or spotify uh or, or google or, or what stitcher what have you and then of course we have the video portion uh where you get to see both ricky and i uh talking about all things uh e-commerce over the last 10 15 years oh gosh how far back did we go and watch us on our youtube channel uh the wpic youtube channel as well so can't thank you enough ricky samuel e-commerce partner at mindshare thanks so much for being on the show today it was a real pleasure my pleasure thanks Doc. growing a company is hard doing it in a foreign market exponentially so The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking at the Asia-Pacific region for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands, just like yours, enter China, Japan, and Southeast Asia. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation. And if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co. And be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.